0: The reason people will say that is I used to eat the same thing when I was 16 and I didn't have any problem and now that I'm 46 now I just look at it and I start to gain weight and their metabolism may actually have slowed down. What they're missing is that it didn't slow down because of something on the clock.
1: Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us in more than 130 countries and healthy cities coast to coast. White Plains, New York, Owensboro, Kentucky, Osan Mongolia. We appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 42 of season five, number 341 overall. Gaining weight, getting heavier, isn't that just a natural part of aging? It's like, you hit 40 and what do you get for a birthday present? Well, love handles, a bigger belly, and an even bigger backside. Happy birthday, indeed. Well, it turns out that a new study finds that the majority of men say that those presents are inevitable no matter what they do it's just a part of life you get older and you get wider or do you does it have to be that way could the power of your pant size actually be in your own hands well we are about to find out with the author of your body imbalance dr neil barnard he joined me on the exam room live to talk about this weight gain middle-aged phenomenon And I think that a lot of people are going to perk up when they hear our conversation today. And because this is The Exam Room Live, we're getting you all kinds of healthy by answering questions that you exam roomies have sent into the doctor's mailbag. Questions like, do you really need to worry if you're only 20 pounds overweight? Or is it possible that some diets work for some people, but not for others? And can you still lose weight while completely pigging out on plant-based foods that happen to be low in fat and calories? So can you go crazy on a whole food plant-based diet that's low in fat, not worry about portions, not calorie counting, anything like that, and still see the pounds come off? We are going to find out answers to all of those questions and a lot more in just a little bit. And if there's ever a question you would like to submit to the doctor's mailbag, you can always send that to me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll, WLC. Before we start today, though, I want to say a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the exam room live and the Physicians Committee is helping to raise our health IQs. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryRyderFund.org. That's Gregory Ryder, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org. Time now to talk weight gain in middle age. Is it inevitable or is there something we can do about it? Let's find out as we welcome Dr. Neil Barnard to the exam room. Good to see you again. Great to see you, Chuck. I think weight gain, correct me if I'm wrong. That is something that you covered in your body imbalance as we get older, correct? Yes, that's right.
0: And um, I'm so glad that you introduced it in the way you did, because many people have this idea that it's just something you're stuck with.
1: Well, today we're going to try to, you know, poke a little hole in that balloon here. Um, but let's let's talk about this study first, out of the UK. And there was a quote from one of the participants that really stuck with me. Um, really kind of spoke to the old overweight version of myself. And this gentleman said, "What gets me the worst is going to buy clothes. You go into a shop, you see a really nice suit, and you know that they won't have it in your size." He says, "I have a size fifty-four chest, and." It's just getting ridiculous. This has to stop. But the same gentleman was among more than a handful who said, no matter what I do, I'm going to pack on the pounds because of stress at home and stress at the job. So the first question, Dr. Barnard comes to us from Howard and it is, are you genetically more likely to gain weight once you hit middle age?
0: Oh, that's a, a great question. And it's on so many people's minds because that's, that's really their experience. And this is true for kind of anybody. Um, A guy is getting a little bit, what he thinks is he's a little older because he's now 45 or 50. And between uh, perhaps raising children, demands at work, maybe less physical activity, he notes he's gaining a little bit of weight. Um, But a, a woman hits menopause and she thinks, wow, with all of the the changes I'm going through, uh, I noticed that I don't lose weight uh, as easily as I did before. And so people often imagine that it's gotta be sort of genetic programming that I'm going to gain weight. However, uh, we've intervened in these cases and we've actually put diets to work and I'm not talking calorie cutting diets and I'm not talking uh, massive exercise programs or that kind of thing. What we've used instead is uh, really two things avoiding the animal products completely. So it's a vegan diet, but also keeping the fatty foods really low, even, even the sort of healthier fats, the vegetable oils, as well as the animal fats. When people do those two things together, I don't care how old you are, the weight does tend to come off. And perhaps just as important or more or, or more important, um, is that it tends to stay off. So in other it's not just a weight loss diet on a temporary basis. It's getting down to the weight that you want to be and staying there.
1: A lot of people will say, well, I'm getting older. My metabolism is slowing down. And so they'll look at metabolism them almost exclusively as a reason why they are gaining weight. How much stock should be put in to a slow metabolism when it comes to weight gain?
0: Well, it can be slow. Um, And the, the, the reason people will say that is I used to eat the same thing when I was 16 and I didn't have any problem. And now that I'm 46 or whatever it is. Now, I just look at it and I start to gain weight and and their metabolism may actually have slowed down. What they're missing is that it didn't slow down because of something on the clock. It slowed down in part because of what they are eating. Here's how it works. You eat some greasy thing, chicken wings or cheese or steak or or even fried things like French fries. The fat from those foods, gets into your cells, and that causes not just insulin to not work, as we've talked about before, but it makes your mitochondria not work. Now, when I say mitochondria, people might remember from their high school biology, those are the burners inside your cells. You pack the fat in, your burners inside your cells, they're not tearing up the calories anymore, and the answer to it is to get all that fat out of your diet. That that allows your burners to recover. And so your metabolism will recover to a degree uh, when you make these changes. It happens rather rapidly, and it's especially noticeable in the after meal
1: period. So that after breakfast, after lunch, after dinner, you're gonna be burning calories faster. Wow, that's a, that's free calorie burn right there, man. That That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, take a question from Kim. Oh, boy, this is a good one, Dr. Barnard. Kim is wondering whether it's possible that some diets work for some people but not others.
0: Well, th- that is a great question. All diets can create, um, or I guess I should say that, that all diets can have little bumps in the road here or there, even a really healthy vegan diet. Let's say a person does it, and they're in a group of another 12 people, and 11 of them are losing weight like crazy. They're on a vegan diet. They're keeping the oils low. Everything is going great. They're losing a pound or two pounds this week and the same next week. And then you're the 12th person and it's not happening for you. And you're thinking, why not? We we see this all the time. So simple solution. What we do is we say, let's take a piece of paper, write down everything that you've eaten for the past day. And then we look for the contraband and what we discover is the person (laughs) says, Oh, you mean fish? I can't, that's not part of the diet. No, you know, I thought I needed the fatty fish for the omega-3 or something like that. Okay. Get that out. The weight loss starts. Or it could be something like um, uh, guacamole. Uh, avocado is a healthier kind of fat than animal fat for sure. But like all fats, it has nine calories per gram. So if I'm trying to lose weight, even the avocado toast, I'm going to kind of shrink that a little bit. So you discover what it is that's getting in the way. And people do well. So if it's not animal products, it's sometimes nuts or oils or something like that. But then with, with other diets, you know, the, the more conventional, old fashioned kind of diet, um, you're getting the assignment that you should cut calories, eat 800 calories a day. And you think it worked for the guy on TV. But for me, I'm ready to eat the sofa. Um, frankly, nobody can, can starve, you know, day after day, after day, after day, eventually your appetite is just going to grab a hold of the refrigerator and tear it open.
1: <laughs> well, kind of along those lines, I want to take a question now from Melissa, who's wondering whether you can still lose weight while eating a large quantity of low fat, low calorie, uh, whole food, plant-based foods.
0: If a person is trying to lose weight and if you're eating, um, grains and beans and vegetables and fruits, and, the, and and you don't have added fat, those foods, even if you eat abundant amounts of them are gonna help the weight come off for two reasons. Um, the first is that they're they, they're very low in what we call caloric density. You're getting a lot of fiber, a lot of complex carbohydrates, and these foods just don't have a whole lot of calories. The calories are packed into the animal fat and into the oils and those foods aren't there. So you're gonna fill up sooner, and the weight's going to come up for that reason. And then the second thing is if you've been doing this for several days, your metabolism does ramp up, as I was describing before. And it's really hard to avoid losing weight unless, uh, unless you're really uh, pushing the foods a lot, way beyond your satiety threshold.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of a tricky one. You know, I think back to if I were in that position when I was still four twenty, I'm I'm wondering whether it would still be a good idea to gorge on food if it were still healthy. even if it were healthy, right? Because I think at that point you're still kind of entertaining the idea of unhealthy habits. As I say, too much of a good thing is still too much. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I I
0: do agree. And what I've been describing now is a person who's responding to the appetite cues. So you're full, you stop. But if a person is really pushing beyond the amounts uh, and, and their stomach is saying, hey, look, I've had enough. And, and Chuck, I know that you and I have talked about this this before and you've experienced this um, and, and other people have, too. At that point, you really do have to say, OK, I've got to stop now. Um, I have to find some way so that I'm not really just gorging uh, beyond the limits. But, but for most people, um, the foods that we've described, fruits and so forth, they've got fiber that fills you up. They've got a lot of water that fills you up. If instead of those um, low-calorie, very-filling foods, you eat a high-calorie food like cheese, meat, by the time it fills you up, you have had a lot of calories. So avoiding those, is that's kind of job one.
1: Yeah, don't I know it? And I think that when a person is in a position where they have been overeating for so many years, the risk of them, if even if they have w- good intentions with eating uh, large quantities of healthier foods, the odds of them reintroducing something like cheese or ice cream or hamburgers or steak, french fries, whatever the case may be, it's pretty high. And so then, as you just said, they're going to eat that same amount, they're going to really fill up and then some on those high fat, high calorie foods. And it's just going to worsen the problem. So, you know, there's, there's a lot there also from a psychological standpoint that we don't necessarily need to address today, but I, I mean, it, it does kind of go to the fact that weight loss can be like a really complicated issue.
0: It, it really can be. And I have to say, I really like the idea of keeping a, a short-term focus. A person doesn't have to think, what am I going to eat in the year 2055? Let's, fo- <laughs> Let's focus on today. Let's focus on the next couple of days. And I've heard you say, you know, if I'm kind of a food addict and today is my first day without the food I crave, I'm going to not have such a hot day today. I'm going to feel kind of crummy. And I just resolve myself to it. That's the way today's going to be. I'm going to miss it. But it passes. You're going into the tunnel. You're going to come out of the tunnel. And when you do, you're going to feel so much better because you're broken free.
1: All right. Let's uh, talk about uh, BMI here. I'm curious, uh, what do we know uh, typically here when it comes to the BMI of those eating a vegetarian or even a whole food plant-based diet versus those who are eating the standard American diet?
0: We got some really good information from the Adventist health study. And, and you know Seventh-day Adventists have been under the microscope of researchers for decades and decades because they are just everybody's favorite population to study huge number of people uh, in California, especially, but elsewhere too, and almost entirely non-smokers, almost entirely teetotalers. So they're great to study. And what they have found is that within this group, they vary quite widely in diet uh, for religious reasons. They're supposed to be health conscious. Uh, Vegetarian diets are smiled on, but they're not followed by everybody. Within that population, what you see is that comparing meat eaters, people who eat meat every day, to a person who eliminates, uh, say, red meat and has just chicken, um, chicken fish. And maybe the next uh, group would be just people who eat fish. Uh, The next group down would be people who don't eat any meat at all, but they have dairy products and eggs and ovo-lacto-vegetarian. And finally, vegans, no animal products at all. When you go down those five steps, what you see is the BMI just drops Drops, 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 drops. Everybody's eating the foods they want. They're eating until they are full. They're totally satisfied. Their physical activity may not differ very much, but the plant-based diet is good for several BMI points, uh, much lower than the person who's a meat eater and much lower even than a person who's a lacto-ovo vegetarian. That's, That's the cheese effect. So yeah, BMI very, very strongly dependent on the dietary pattern you're following.
1: Talking about uh, Adventist, I was talking recently on the show about uh, the longevity aspect of uh, one of those studies. I think this one was done out in Loma Linda, and it looked at uh, life expectancy for uh, vegans and vegetarians compared to those eating the standard diet. And for women, it was more than six years. Uh, For men, it was nine and a half years, I do believe. So I I I would think that the lower BMI would be a big factor as to why we're seeing those extra trips around the sun.
0: All those things, they all go together. Your BMI goes down, the cholesterol goes down with it, blood pressure goes down with it. Uh, The risk of diabetes, it it, it tracks with this. Um, Partly because people are thinner, they're at less diabetes risk. But even if they're the same weight, the diabetes risk is lower for people on a plant-based diet. So all And certain cancers are less common. So all of these things, they help with longevity and they help with the different health issues that that uh, can complicate later life too.
1: I've gotten this question a lot over the years as well. You just said diabetes, it popped into my mind. Uh, question about sugar and uh, weight gain. Is there a connection distinctly between eating an abundance of sugar, a really sugary diet, and packing on the pounds? Or is sugar kind of just a byproduct, by and large, of fatty foods?
0: Sugar is an interesting thing. You know, uh, your body is actually designed to run on sugar. Now, what I'm, the sugar I'm speaking of is glucose and it's in fruits and it's in starchy vegetables. The starch breaks apart to release glucose and it goes into your blood and it powers your brain. That's what your brain wants. And, and I, that's the healthy fuel for your body. Glucose is very clean, burning fuel. Your muscles work on it. A, a person who's going to run a marathon next week, they are carbo loading today. They're putting sugar, glucose into their liver and into their muscles in the form of glycogen. So the point is, sugar is not a bad thing. But it's gotten a bad rep because people take sugar and they mix it into cookies along with butter and shortening. And frankly, that's where the calories really are. Um, so people will blame the carbs, but it's really the, the hidden fats that are the, are the biggest driver of weight gain. And we see this with um, uh, cakes pies, uh, a lot of baked goods, and, and many other things. Now, ha- having said that, I don't want people to imagine that sugar is always, you know, totally innocuous. If you take a, a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi or something, you know, those kinds of things, um, they're not the, actually the biggest driver of weight gain, but that's just a bunch of sugar that you, the body doesn't really need at all.
1: We talked about uh, nuts and avocados a little bit earlier. Patricia's wondering specifically, though, about some other high-fat plant foods uh, and chia and flax seeds. Do you need to be cautious with those as well when you're trying to lose weight?
0: Uh, not in the portions that they're they're usually that people usually have. They have maybe you know a, ta- a tablespoon <laughs> or something like that. They throw on the the amount of fat in that is really quite modest. If you have about an entire ounce of chia seeds, it's maybe nine grams of fat, something like that. Um, and so a person's not going to use that much.
1: Nonetheless, I, I can virtually guarantee there are people hearing this right now, watching this right now. They're like, okay, well, even still, what are some alternate sources for omega-3s? We talked a lot about the importance of them the last time you were on the show.
0: Yeah. Oh, and don't get me wrong. Chia is fine and, f- and flax seeds are fine. Um, but I got to tell you, my favorite um, omega-3 source is the last one anyone would think of. And that is green leafy vegetables. What? They don't have any fat at all in them, do they? Well, actually, if you send some broccoli to the lab, they will tell you it's about seven or 8% fat. And a very large proportion of that fat is omega-3. What matters is not so much how much fat you're eating. um, Well, let me put it this way. If you're eating a lot of fat, you're gonna gain weight. But from a health standpoint, what your body wants is a high proportion of your fat as omega-3. So if you're not getting very much fat because you're avoiding the added fats, but the traces of fat you're getting are the ones from green leafy vegetables. That's really high omega-3 proportionately. And that's what's gonna help your body. Now, So you can do it with with green leafy vegetables. You can do it with flax and chia, that's fine. Um, Some people will do it with supplements if you want, but most people don't really need to do that. Um, They do sell the vegan DHA supplements, vegan EPA supplements uh, they're just like fish oil, just without the, without the smell. <laughs> so you can do that. Um, one last point. Um, there, there has been a literature that people are looking at about whether, uh, the, the omega threes can protect against Alzheimer's. We don't really know the, the answer to that question yet, but, uh, some studies have suggested that people whose diets are really low in omega threes might be at higher risk. Uh, but when people go to the store and they buy fish oil and they start supplementing, it turns out that some of these, at, at least for the guys, their risk of prostate cancer goes up from the omega 3 supplementing, the DHA and EPA. What do we do? Um, nobody knows the exact answer yet, but what some people are doing is not supplementing until they test. You can test. Uh, one, there are many companies, one is called Omega Quant. You go on their website, you pay them a certain amount of money, they send you a test kit, put a drop of blood on a card, you send it back and a week or two later, they tell you here is your omega-3 level. And if you're where you wanna be, you throw the card away and stop worrying about it. If you're low, you could decide if you wanna restore your levels with say a vegan EPA DHA supplement. Um, A lot of people do that, but again, we gotta be uh, cautious about it. We still don't know entirely whether that is gonna be beneficial over the long run we're not fully sure about what the risks may be.
1: I wanna stick with Alzheimer's uh, right now. You know, we're talking about people feeling like weight gain is inevitable as they get older. Um, And I think that then they're concerned about other chronic diseases. You know, you get heavier, you worry about having a heart attack, but what do we know about the connection between obesity and Alzheimer's disease. Does that increase the risk?
0: Yes, it does. I'm, I'm sorry to say obesity makes so many things worse. Um, it, it, yes, it will increase the risk of Alzheimer's. It will increase the risk of type 2 diabetes, which in turn will approximately double the risk of Alzheimer's. Um, obesity, interestingly enough, reduces the risk of breast cancer up until menopause. but And we don't know entirely why that is. But after menopause, Goes exactly the opposite direction. If you're carrying that extra weight into menopause, you're at much higher risk uh, of breast cancer. Um, so the, the the answer to it really is is we do want to keep uh, a healthier a healthier weight at every stage
1: of life. Pre menopausal, there are also healthier ways to reduce a woman's risk of getting breast cancer. Correct? Uh,
0: yes, and and the vast vast majority of breast cancers occur in the postmenopausal period. So you you don't want to be carrying extra weight into it you, you, or put it the other way, you don't want to have extra weight as a young woman hoping that that extra weight will in some way reduce your risk of breast cancer. It just increases the risk of everything else.
1: Let's switch gears, take a question from Peter. This is an interesting one, Uh, wondering whether it's harder to lose weight if a person is dehydrated. Do we know anything about a connection there?
0: Well, yeah, uh, many people have this experience where um, they're noticing that they're eating and it may be that they weren't actually hungry. Um, they might have neglected to fill their water glass. And so they're actually just thirsty. And the way they discover it is if they've kind of been neglecting this, they start making sure they've got a bottle of water with them or a glass of water. And they find that they're snacking less and less because they were just pulling the snacks out of their drawer to make up for the water they were, they were missing. Apart from that, I'm not aware of any relationship aware of any relationship between dehydration and weight gain. It's really just eating when you ought to be drinking some, some water.
1: All right. Mary wants brass tacks answers here. She's like, gentlemen, you're doing a great job, but I need to know specifically can Dr. Barnard rattle off a few more foods specifically that are really good for weight loss?
0: Okay, sure. Um, well, first of all, that's a great question and I love making things practical. Okay. Let's break them into three categories. Uh, the first category is you need foods that will tame your appetite. That's so that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm now going to push away from the table. Plant-based foods are great, and the ones that matter the most are the high-fiber foods. Fiber doesn't have calories, fills you up. So I am going to pick blueberries as maybe my one of my favorites here. They're, they're a really high-fiber food, um, but frankly, you can do this with whole-grain foods like brown rice. You can do it with fruits and others. But, but blueberries are, are a good one because not only do they have a lot of fiber in them, the neglected berry group has, has also, uh, the, the dark color, the dark color in a blueberry that's from anthocyanins and anthocyanins are very slight metabolism boosters in the, in the bargain. So I've got the fiber to, uh, to, to help me to reach satiety for maybe a couple hundred calories sooner. Now, the other thing is my metabolism is boosting. And I mentioned blueberries, anthocyanins helping there. Another one cinnamon. It's not magic, but cinnamon has been tested a lot, and it does seem to be real. It has a slight metabolism boosting effect uh, and blood sugar lowering effect as well. But to tell you the truth, for the metabolism boost, any low fat, high starch food will help. Sweet potatoes, great. Bananas, great, great snack. Uh, No fat in there, lots of healthy complex carbohydrate, and that will give you a little bit of a metabolism boost for a couple hours after you eat it. Third category, Uh, if cravings have got you, you need something that will substitute for the craving. So for all the cheese addicts in the world, and there are like, this is everybody's issue, um, go to the store, get some nutritional yeast. You know this already, Mary, I'm sure. A nutritional yeast on your pizza beats the socks off of uh, cheese toppings. Virtually no fat, virtually no calories. You get that cheesy taste. Um, Another example, uh, chocolate. Calls your name. It's 830 at night. You're raiding the refrigerator. Um, if a person gets the the cocoa powder, you've, you've probably seen this. You, you make a little bit of a, a little sauce with it. The fat has been gone. But you dip the strawberry or the banana into that little sauce that you've made. And you eat that. And it's really kind of a delectable, quite kind of sophisticated <laughs> dessert. You serve it to friends. They're going to think you're really cool. Um, but it gives you the taste with none, none of the... Uh, none of those hidden calories. So there are a few for you. All
1: right, if somebody's listening to the show or watching us live for the very first time today, they're gonna be like, you need to go back to that second thing he was talking about. He said, eat starchy foods. Starchy foods equal carbohydrates. Did he really just say eat carbohydrates to be at a healthy weight? So when it comes to carbs and weight loss and maintaining a healthy weight, where are the majority of us going wrong?
0: Let's take a trip to Tokyo. And let's go back in time to the 1960s that you had a country that was eating carbs like crazy it was a rice-based diet with more rice and more rice and more rice uh some meat not very much really no dairy and not much oil and they were the thinnest healthiest people on the planet luckily they hadn't read the atkins book which says if you eat rice you're going to gain weight they ate huge amounts of it never gained weight until uh, mcdonald's arrived in tokyo burger king Uh, dairy products came in, and people ate less rice, less rice, less rice, more fatty foods, they started to gain weight. How do I understand this? Fats have nine calories per gram. Carbohydrates have only four. And the reason people blame bread or potatoes for weight gain is because when the bread comes out of the toaster, the butter goes on. When the potatoes come out of the oven, in goes, on it goes the sour cream and the butter and and all the fatty toppings. It's the fatty toppings that add the calories. Uh, French fries, potato chips. Um, You can call them carbs if you want, but from a nutritional standpoint, what it is is a sponge filled with grease. And every gram of fat carries nine calories right down your esophagus. A sponge
1: filled with grease. Appetizing, it. That just sounds delectable. Um, okay. Uh, we haven't yet talked about a lot of the processed plant-based foods. You know, you go to the store these days, especially in the frozen food aisle, and the freezers are just lined floor to ceiling with a lot of plant-based options. Um, just because something is plant-based, does that mean that it's a healthy option?
0: Yeah, you know, you've got to hand it to the industry. They're so creative and they're jumping on the fact that everyone's going vegan nowadays. Uh, And so so they're coming up with products, and and they vary a lot. Um, And some, like the old veggie burgers that have been around for, frankly, decades, were always pretty good, Um, very low in fat, just a couple of ingredients. It might be a bean burger, or it's made from soy or textured vegetable protein or something simple. The past few years, uh, the the manufacturers have decided they're going to use vegan foods to seduce the taste buds of meat eaters. So they're taking that veggie burger, and now they're adding a lot of stuff that was never in it before. A lot of coconut fat, for example. And that fat will raise your cholesterol because coconuts and palm, coconut oil, palm oil, those are really just about the two, the only two vegetable foods that are are vegetable uh, fats that are really, really high in saturated fat. And every gram of the fat, every gram of the fat that they packed in there has nine calories. So, so those foods are no longer slimming foods. They, they still serve a, fir- a purpose. They, for the person who's a diet in a little meat eater and who eats an impossible burger. I mean, it's marginally better than what he's eating before. And it proves to him that he doesn't need meat. That's good. But if you're already following a healthy vegan diet, what you really need is not this processed stuff so much. What you really need is simple foods, the beans, the grains, and the vegetables, and they can turn into wonderful foods, but um, they might be really better choices than some of the other things. Now, now Chuck, really really quickly, I don't wanna have people feel like it's a terrible thing to ever have a a processed food. If it's, you, you know, your 14 year old kid is having a birthday and all the neighbor comes in, don't serve them lentil loaf. They're gonna beat your kid up. If you serve veggie hot dogs, you know, then that's gonna be okay. And yes, they're a little processed, But this is not a bad food. It's not high in fat. It's relatively simple.
1: We have time for just a couple of more. Uh, We do have somebody right now, Dr. Barnard, who's wondering about uh, going plant-based for the very first time eating a plant-based diet, but they're concerned because they've been on so many diets previously and none of them turned out to be sustainable. The longest they say that they lasted was three months. They had success for three months and then the wheels came off. So when it comes to eating a plant-based diet and making sure not only you lose the weight, but keep the weight off, how does the plant-based diet actually benefit someone in that case?
0: Oh, what a great question. Um, So many people, as you know, try various kinds of diets and you try it for a while and you fall off the wagon. Uh, The beauty of a vegan diet or a plant-based diet is that it doesn't rely on restricting calories or cutting out carbohydrates. So what people very often find is after they've done it for a couple of weeks, they've kind of lost their taste for chicken wings. They found foods they like much better and you're never hungry. Um, You're not missing carbohydrate because you're having all the carbohydrates you want, but people lose weight. And then the weight loss rewards them. And it seems really easy. So they just kind of want to stick with it. And then they discover something else. They discover that there are cool products at the store and websites and books and movies. And it it sort of draws you in and and you want to learn more about it. But I have to say, uh, where I think people are are particularly vulnerable is if they are the lone ranger. If you're the only person who's doing this, and maybe you're in a family or a work group where other people are just not into healthy eating at all, you might find that the, the temptations to go back are stronger than they would be if you've got a network that supports you. So get the network. That can mean going online, that can mean watching you know, the exam room, um, where we, whatever gives you a group to get that little bit of injection of support once a week or once a day or whatever it is, listen to podcasts, hook up with other people, um, you're going to discover that a lot of people are there, they're doing the same thing you are, and and the feeling of being part of an important social group that can uh, keep you going at any moment of doubt. And you'll discover those moments of doubt just kind of stop coming after a while.
1: All right, final question comes to us from Mark, goes back to what it was we were talking about at the top of the show. And Mark is wondering, have there ever been any studies whatsoever showing that it is impossible to lose weight past a certain age?
0: <laughs> oh, what a question. Uh, you know, I guess everyone kind of thinks that, but no, no, We in our research studies here, We have had people come in at just about every age, uh, often with a lot of complications. They may have diabetes or really serious joint problems. And age is not a barrier to weight loss. And Dr. Dean Ornish showed that age was not a barrier to the healing process that occurs in the arteries. The key is a really healthy diet, getting the animal products out, keeping the grease out. I don't care how old you are. I also don't care how young you are. It's a healthy way to go at any age.
1: Basically, what you just said is it's never too late never too late. You got it. Never too late. Uh, here's the cool thing, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you feel like you could use a little boost with your health and you are struggling with your weight, uh, we do have a 12 week plant-based weight loss program, uh, program coming up with Dr. Venita Rahman and our wonderful dietitian Karen Smith as well. You can sign up for that at pcrm.org. Or if you want a little bit of one-on-one work, you can work with our experts or doctors or dietitians on staff at the Barnard Medical Center as well. Telemedicine visits are available in, more than a quarter of the country, like a pretty sizable area. So to make your appointment today, call 202-527-7500 or log on to barnardmedical.org. Insurance is accepted. So barnardmedical.org, 202-527-7500. It's kind of like modern medicine. Um, with a a twist on preventative medicine and sustained medicine. That's a big thing that we talked about here today. And so we're not only gonna get you on the right track, we're gonna keep you there. And Dr. Barnard, I think that that then could be the best medicine of all.
0: Yes, it's been a really wonderful thing. And I have to say the pandemic was not a friend to anybody, but it did um, cause us to greatly ramp up the telemedicine that we've had. So some people come in to see us uh, here live and in person. Others come in by telemedicine. Some see a doctor. Some want to see the dietitian. Whatever it is, we're glad to help.
1: There it is, two oh two five two seven seventy five hundred or barnardmedical.org for a full list of states where services are available. Dr. Barnard, appreciate your time today, my friend. Thank you, Chuck. If you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, please go ahead and subscribe to The Exam Room Podcast by The Physician's Committee on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because it helps us get these life-changing facts to the people who are desperate for change, but they think that change just can't happen for them. It's not in the cards. But what we know is that change absolutely can happen for them. It can happen for anyone. So let's help them out with that five-star rating and please also leave a nice review. And a link for you to help out right now can be found in the episode notes. I wanna go back to the study that we were talking about at the beginning of the show, the one that really planted the seed for this topic. This study of middle-aged men who said that no matter what they do, they were going to gain weight. And the one guy who was interviewed during the study, he was talking about not being able to find a jacket that fit him. Said he wore something like a 54 in his chest, something like that. My grandma, she would call that being barrel chested. I remember, though, long before middle age, feeling that same kind of deflation way back in high school and trying to find a suit to wear to prom. I had to rent one. And I was petrified that the store would not be able to find anything in my size. I was only 17. But then finally, after bouncing around, I was able to find this little itty-bitty mom-and-pop shop in Falls Church, Virginia, that was able to hook me up. And they had to customize everything to make it fit. And I remember being so embarrassed. And I was just a teenager. And when you have way more years under your belt, I would imagine you would feel even more deflated. You're kind of wondering, well, how did I get here? When did it get this bad? I'm so uncomfortable. I'm so unhealthy and I just don't want to live like this anymore. And so I hope that some of the things that Dr. Barnard and I talked about here today have made you feel a little bit better about your situation if you are feeling trapped. It doesn't have to be that way. It is not all genetics. Because what your mom and pop gave you doesn't dictate who you are today. And think about it like directions, right? They've given you one set of directions to get somewhere, but in life... You are absolutely free to go any way you want. So their DNA roadmap may say, hey, turn left. But you're like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to hang this right right here and take the healthier road less traveled. And so, yeah, you do have their genes, but you've also got your own head on your own two shoulders and the power to take control of your health. So when you hear someone say genes don't have to be your destiny, that is exactly what they're talking about. Whether it's gaining weight like we've been talking about here on the show today or any one of the diseases that may run in your family, you have the ability to plant a much healthier family tree. That's pretty cool, huh? Now, one of the diseases that gets talked about a lot in terms of being passed down from generation to generation is breast cancer. And if that is a concern of yours, well, here's a little more power for your pocket today. Our good friend and breast cancer surgeon, Dr. Christy Funk, she has launched a new live cooking series that takes you inside her cancer kicking kitchen. she's chopping it up in there with chrissy roth and chrissy is a holistic nutritionist she's a trainer she's a lot of things including one of dr funk's best friends so these two they come up with these insanely delicious recipes that please the palate and are loaded to the brim with cancer fighting foods and the next one Their next episode comes up in July. So be sure to RSVP for that ahead of time. And we have a link for you to do that right now in the episode notes. But you say, well, July is a long ways off and it very well may be depending on when you are listening to this. But you don't have to wait that long either. You can go back, you can watch previous episodes on demand and grab any one of the gajillion recipes that they already have posted up on pinklotus.com slash kitchen. And as I'm speaking, I'm literally scrolling through that website, pinklotus.com slash kitchen. And I'm looking at these recipes, like the Fill My Belly Buddha Bowl, which has ancient grains and cherry tomatoes and red cabbage and broccoli, sweet potatoes, zucchini, and all of that then, it's drizzled with a savory tahini sauce. Yeah. Yes, please. Sign me up right now and then sign me up for seconds. And then there is also for you pasta lovers, there's also lentil oat meatballs, quote unquote. Subtitled there, really kind of fun too. They'll never know. (laughs) Giddy up, man. That's amazing. And they also have what they call the ridiculously yummy black bean burger, Tex-Mex magic, curry up. Detox Delight, and those are just a few to get you started. You can kill hours going through all of these recipes and days preparing all of them. It's going to take a while. There's so much for you already there. So head on over to pinklotus.com kitchen RSVP for the next live show and grab some of those recipes. And speaking of the live show, it's also jam packed with disease fighting facts that you won't find anywhere on your typical cooking show, right? So you turn on the Food Network, you're not gonna hear this kind of stuff there. It's like a next level Lunch and Learn. That's exactly what it is. It is a next level Lunch and Learn Plus. They've got some giveaways and Dr. Funk and Christy will also be there to answer your questions live. So pinklotus.com slash kitchen is the place to be for RSVPs and to snag some of those out of this world recipes that'll take your risk of cancer and it will smash it, mash it, ball it up and throw it right into the trash. And Take that risk, shove it way, way, way down. All good stuff. Can't wait to talk to Dr. Funk a little bit later on this year for our Let's Beat Breast Cancer Campaign 2022 edition. Before we wrap up today, I want to say one more time, a huge thank you to the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund. Their support of the Exam Room Live and the Physicians Committee is helping to raise our health IQs and makes this episode possible. The Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund supports organizations like the Physicians Committee that carry on Greg's love for animals by promoting plant-based health and working to end animal abuse while emphasizing programs that promote systemic change and also benefit people. You can visit the Gregory J. Ryder Memorial Fund online at GregoryWriterfund.org. That's GregoryWriter, R-E-I-T-E-R Fund.org. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Neil Barnard for being here, raising our health IQs and sprinkling on a little inspiration. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.